This was mind-blowing because children were to be seen and, and not heard. Being childlike had absolutely nothing to do with their ideas about greatness. Again, Jesus and his disciples went on and passed through Galilee, Mark tells us. He did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples. Thousands had been flocking to Jesus by the time we reached this ninth chapter of the Gospel of St. Mark. It uh, wasn't very long ago in the eighth chapter that he fed thousands of people with a couple of loaves of bread and a few fish. Uh, last Sunday we looked at that, that, that uh, pivotal moment where, where Jesus uh, has a little time with his disciples uh, and he's asking them, what are people saying out there? What are you hearing? What are people, uh, who do people say that I am? And, and they have some big time answers. I mean, they're talking about John the Baptist out there, Jesus, maybe Elijah returned. Wow. And I think as the disciples are, are saying these things, giving these answers, they're feeling like things are really going well in this movement that they've been swept up in, been a part of. And then Jesus asks him, uh, and uh, you, who do you say that I am? And uh, it's Peter who steps forward and says, you are the Messiah. Son of the living God. And Jesus proceeds to give some information about what this is going to mean for him. That it's not all going to be adoring crowds, but that it is, in fact, going to involve rejection and suffering and even dying. And none of this Sounds like a movement that's going so well. None of it is in line with the disciples barking out their answers to who people are saying Jesus is. The great prophet, the fiery prophet out in the wilderness, John the Baptist or, or Elijah. And so Peter rebukes Jesus, and finally Jesus, and in a detail, Mark gives us just such really wonderful details if, we, if we're careful. Mark tells us Jesus looks at the disciples. Peter has stepped forward and said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then this exchange and Jesus sharing how there will be rejection and suffering and dying before there's any rising and then Peter uh, setting about to correct Jesus. And then in the detail, I think it's important and, and, and fascinating at the same time, Mark tells us uh, Jesus didn't look at Peter, but he looked at the disciples, and he said, get behind me, Satan. So this message was met for everybody who was having trouble with the idea of what it would mean uh, for Jesus to be the Messiah and what it will mean to be a follower. So this time, when Jesus again shares 
that there will in fact be rejection and suffering and death, the disciples were told, again, don't get it, or they don't like it, but Mark says they were afraid to ask. And you can't blame them. The sting of that rebuke is fresh in their minds, and they're afraid to ask. You know, they'd just been up on the mountain with Jesus for the, the mystical event we know as the transfiguration, where Jesus there appears with Moses and Elijah in this kind of blinding vision of glory, and they're driven to their faces, and, and they come back down from that, 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 that sort of mystical, glorious display of the power and authority of Christ, and they come back down and, and, and are encountering the people, and Jesus right away heals a young boy. Glory and power and status and clamoring crowds. Yeah, things are going well. What in the world can Jesus mean to be talking about suffering and rejection and death? Life is hard enough as it is. What's the point of a Messiah, a Savior, if it's not to defeat and triumph over these things? And finally, as if to prove that they could not possibly be more in the dark about what Jesus is trying to take them aside, away from the crowds in order to teach them, they, they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, Jesus asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? <laughs> but they were silent because along the way they had argued with one another who among them was the greatest? And this right here I've, I've said before is how we know that Jesus is divine. How does he not just smack whichever disciple is closest to him on the back of the head, right? I mean, he had just finished telling them along with an entire crowd that if anyone wants to become my followers, then take up your cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. And then came the mystical, powerful, glorious transfiguration on the mountain. And then Jesus healed a suffering boy as the crowds come running. And that's when Jesus tells the disciples yet again what it will mean for him to be the Messiah. It's not going to be all about adoring crowds, miracles, and power. Rejection is coming, and suffering, and death are on the way. But they didn't get it, or they didn't want to get it, and they were afraid to ask. So Jesus decided it was, it was time to provide a little children's sermon. Time to sit down with the disciples and frankly, blow their minds if they're not blown already. So let's just slow down and walk through these next verses carefully. Then they came to Capernaum and when Jesus was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent for on the way they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. Jesus sat down and called the twelve and said to them, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Okay, now watch this. 
Then Jesus took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, Jesus said to them, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Remember, they had just been discussing among them who was the greatest. This was mind-blowing because children were to be seen and, and not heard. Being childlike had absolutely nothing to do with their ideas about greatness, I can assure you. Unless you were born to a king, being a child was the opposite of greatness. Jesus was talking about being rejected, about suffering and dying, and none of this sounded like greatness. They didn't get it. In one of the great U2 songs called Until the End of the World, Bono sings about that upper room where Jesus has the disciples gathered for the Holy Supper. He sings, last time we met was a low-lit room. We were close together as a bride and groom. We ate the bread. We drank the wine. Everybody having a good time except for you. You were talking about the end of the world. And they were afraid to ask. What about you? If you could sit down with Jesus, what, what would you want to know? There's so many things that can make us afraid. We're afraid of losing our jobs, of, of, of being ridiculed, that people will talk, that we may fail, that we may get sick, that Things are changing so fast out there, even in the church. We fear that maybe we are not raising our children in the best possible way, that the economy will take a sharp downturn, that we may be the next highway fatality or victim of violent crime or the Delta variant or climate change. We're afraid of all those daily deaths of self, the fear of being tricked, of taken advantage of, of cheated, deceived, made a fool of, put down. They may laugh at me and then I would die of shame. So, we set up about building up massive walls of protection around ourselves. Ernest Becker called it the denial of death. We will protect ourselves so that we will always be safe. We will have so many defenses, both inner and outer, that, that no threat will ever harm us. So we are taught to aspire to power and prestige and, and, and material wealth and reputation and even health as hedges against all this death. All in a... a, a an effort to mask the reality of our fear and to keep ourselves safe from being hurt. And on top of all of this fear and anxiety, I guess I should be afraid of God too. I'm not even going to kid myself. 
If I can't even meet my own standards for success and happiness, there can be no way that I am measuring up to any standards that are set by God Almighty. And Jesus took a small child in his arms. Just think about that with me for a moment. In the midst of our power grabs, our arguing about who's the greatest, who's got the best political ideology, who is the most patriotic, who has the strongest faith, who's in the best shape, or who has the most confidence. In the midst of our striving, our fears, our our denials, our confusion, Jesus picked up and held a small child, took notice of a child. And this morning, that small child may well be you. In your baptism, in this gospel message, in this supper, Christ holds on to you. Not because of what you have, or what you know, or even what you believe. Christ holds you because you are loved. You are part of this beloved community. Sent into the world to notice those with no power or status or possessions. Called to see them as brothers and sisters. and Welcome them. This is how we will stay close to Jesus. Call us back to you, Lord. We began our service with this confession. God, our comforter, we said, like lost sheep, we have gone astray. We gaze upon abundance and see scarcity. We turn our faces away from injustice and oppression. We exploit the earth with our apathy and greed. Free us from sin, gracious God. Listen when we call out to you for help. Lead us by your love to love our neighbors as ourselves. You know, I have been continually struck in recent years by how entirely out of sync with the culture, the language of our confession has become. I sometimes wonder how long the church will tolerate it. I am right. You are wrong. We are taught to yell. I earned what I have. I deserve my place in this society. But the disciples were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. In the absolution, Jesus picked us up again. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. By the gift of grace in Christ Jesus, God makes you righteous. Receive with glad hearts the forgiveness of all your sins and come to the table. Gather around the table. 
the table next to Judas, who will betray, next to the disciples, who will deny they know Jesus, who will run and hide for fear. Take your place at this table of forgiveness. Amen. So, fed and forgiven, uh, you are held in the arms of Christ. That's the good news for this morning. And you are sent to look for those for whom the knowledge of that good news seems too good to be true. Seems, for whatever reason, couldn't possibly include them. Uh, this is our call to be bearers of good news in this world. Not just any good news, but that good news that Christ holds you also, welcomes you also. So we go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.